If you would, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3. It's good to see everyone tonight. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate visitors coming our way. I'm always encouraged when, when people are on vacation and they take time to come to services. It's very encouraging. Um, <coughs> it means a lot that uh, even as we travel about and, 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 and on vacation, we still take time to, to gather with the saints, and it is a very, very much an encouragement. And we appreciate you being here and taking time to be with us. We have been making our way through the seven churches in Asia that John writes to. Our purpose is not to go terribly in-depth uh, with each one of those, these messages to the churches, but rather to look at them as parts of a whole, if you, if you would. We've been looking at some things that they have in common, and we're going to turn the lights off so we can get a better view of our screen. We've been looking at the things that they have in common. We've been looking at, um, this is kind of a primer course, if you will, to the rest of the book of Revelation, with the symbology and, and the uh, apocryphal language and some of those things that we will see in more depth um, in, the, in the later chapters of the book of Revelation. But we look at these seven churches and, and, and the messages to them, and we understand um, that these messages are written to us as well. These messages instruct us how we are to behave as, as congregation, uh, as individuals as well. And so we can glean a lot from uh, these messages, and that's what we've been doing, and that's what our, our hope is. Like I said, it's not a, a terribly verse-by-verse, word-by-word, in-depth um, look at each of these churches, but rather um, looking at it, gleaning from it what we can, and, and making the application in our own, our own lives, our own congregation. So we have come to uh, the sixth church here, and this is Philadelphia, and we'll find this church uh, mentioned here in chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. As we have uh, seen in the past, I hope you can see this map fairly well, John is in exile on the island of Patmos when he receives this vision. And he is told to write in a book or write in a scroll the things that he is told and things that he sees and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And so we've been looking at each, each one of these messages and we've arrived here at Philadelphia and the message that goes out to this particular congregation. One of the things that we looked at and, and that we have noted is the description of Jesus that is given at the beginning of each of these messages. And we've noted that these descriptions um, parallel the vision that, that John had when he first sees uh, this one standing amongst the lampstands. And also in Jesus' early description there at the end of chapter 1, the description of himself. And so each one of these things plays into each one of these messages and kind of goes along with what is being said to each one of these churches. So we've looked at those. Um, we looked at there just a couple of things. His eyes were like flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. So in Thyatira, there's that exact language, who eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like burnished bronze. I go on to talk about how that fits into the message. The seven spirits and the seven stars from Sardis. So we, for Philadelphia... It's not an exact parallel, but it's very, very close. And we'll see from when we get into this and talk about it a little bit more about what this key um, means. 
So in chapter 1, in verse 18, he says, I have the keys of death and Hades. Well, for the message here in Philadelphia, Jesus says, He who is holy and who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and, and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. So it's not exactly parallel, but it's very, very close. Like I said, we'll talk about the important thing there is about the key, this key that Jesus has. So as we have in the past, we, we look a little bit about the ancient city of Philadelphia. Um, what it looked like in the, in the first century when this, when this message was written to Philadelphia, as is to each one of these churches. Um, first, just geographically, it's about 28 miles southeast of Sardis. So we remember in our map, we're coming down, um, back down now. We went north, and now we're coming back down southeast of Sardis. Uh, it was named after King uh, Adelaus II, uh, whose nickname was Philadelphus. 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 Yes, I got that right. Um, and it was so given that name by his brother, Ecumenes II. And, he, and these two had great affection for each other. And so when we talk about the name Philadelphia, what it means is brother loving. And so our Philadelphia that we have now uh, in Pennsylvania is sometimes referred to as a city of brotherly love. Well, that's, that's where this comes from, uh, this idea of the brother loving, what that meant. Um, it was destroyed in the same earthquake in 70 A.D. that destroyed Sardis. We talked about that, that earthquake. And, and, and this area of the world was prone to earthquakes, and I believe still is. Um, so this was not uncommon. But the same earth, earthquake in A.D. 17 uh, that destroyed much of Sardis uh, affected Philadelphia as well. And that's going to play into the message, I believe. Um, so we'll look at that, too. We'll just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. And also, like Sardis, it was rebuilt uh, with the financial help uh, of Emperor Tiberius, who was emperor at the time. Um, like a lot of these cities that we talk about, it was on a major um, east-west trade route. These cities, a lot of them sat either east-west or north-south on these trade routes. And so that was a big thing, and, 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 and we know that today. We, we now we talk about where interstates come together. Um, but the, the same idea, still important today as it was then, trade routes, getting things in and out, and, and it made for wealthy cities and wealthy inhabitants of these cities. Just a couple of photographs here. Um, this was a, um, an, an ancient wall there in, um, in Philadelphia. I know you can't see a whole lot of detail there, but you can see as we've seen in some of these, there's some modern um, city that's, that's here. We, we see that in a couple of these cities, and this, is, this one is like that. And you can see here this, um, looking out over the valley, this is a view from um, the Acropolis there in Philadelphia. And this is um, Al-Sehar, Turkey, is what the modern city of it is now. So this is a, a shot standing up on the, the high point of the city, looking down over the, over the valley. Um, this next shot is um, the ruins of the Byzantine-era church of St. John, who was named after John, who we're talking about here. But this was the Byzantine area, so this era, so this would have been quite a bit later than what we're actually talking about now. But these are some of the ruins um, uh, of the church there that was there. And, and 
just interesting that these pillars are still standing. Like I said, these are much later than the time that we're talking about. But just an idea of, keep that in the back of your mind about pillars. Um, so what about the church in Philadelphia? Well, um, like uh, several of these churches, we don't really know uh, much about it. Only what we read right here. Um, this is all we're told of this church. We don't know um, its origin or its status among the churches. We just don't know. We we're not told. So we don't have a lot of information about its beginnings, where it, it, it ranks status-wise amongst the other churches and that kind of thing. Um, we do know this about it, though, from the, from the message that we hear. It is one of two churches that receive no condemnation. No condemnation at all. This church, along with uh, the church in Smyrna, were the only two that were not uh, condemned for something that was going on in the church. We also know that Jesus was, was giving this church an opportunity. We'll look here as we read in just a moment about this open door that he's going to provide. So for whatever um, lacking we know, or lacking we have in knowledge of the church, we know that Jesus was given an opportunity. Um, and we know that there was a lot of good that was going on in this particular church. So let's read now uh, about the church in Philadelphia. So if you're there in Revelation, let's read beginning in verse 7 through verse 13. <clears throat> and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell upon the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, in order that no one take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon his name, uh, write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as we have um, in the past talked about, each one of these messages follows a very um, basic pattern. And that pattern begins with the salutation. And, and each one of these is, is the same to the angel of the church in, in this case, Philadelphia Rite. We've talked about the angel of the church in the past lesson. We won't go into that in, in detail, but um, just understand that each of these messages begins the very same way. The next part that we have is the Jesus', Jesus self-description, or self-designation or Jesus' description. So as we mentioned, for Philadelphia, it says, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, 
and he shuts and no one will open. So we looked at a minute ago about Jesus having the, de- the key of death in Hades, and, and we made that parallelism there. This idea of the key, uh, first of all, let's talk about, uh, in order here, holy. It says, he who is holy. You know, Jesus equates himself with God in this way. Jesus says, I am holy. And if we know um, through Scripture and throughout the Old Testament, God describes himself as being holy. One instance that comes to mind is in Leviticus 10 with the, um, the sin of Nadab and Abihu. Remember when they offered strange fire and, and God sent fire down out of heaven and consumed them. And he said there, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. God describes himself as being holy throughout the Old Testament. So here Jesus is, is equating himself with that and saying that he is holy. And we know that he is. In Hebrews 1 and verse 3, he says, And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. So if we want to know about God, we can study Jesus and know him. Because he is the exact representation of our Lord God. So him equating himself with being holy is, is, is quite appropriate. It also says that he is true, or who is true. True meaning genuine and real. You understand what true means. And this is in contrast to verse 9 here that we read just a second ago. It says, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. So in this self-designation of Jesus, he's, he's calling out that he is true. And he's saying that these, who are, these Jews, these synagogue of Satan, said those are the ones that are not in truth. So now about this key of David. Who has the key of David? If you think about a key, what does that represent? What does that tell us? Well, if you have a key, you have some kind of authority, don't you? You have some kind of power. Someone has given you the keys to something. You have, might have a key to this building. A key to your car, a key to your house, a key to your uh, place of work. Someone has entrusted you um, with, with the power to open and to close that door. So the key is a symbol of authority and power. And Jesus has been granted all power and all dominion. So when he says, I have the key of death in Hades, and I have the key of David, we understand that he has that authority, he has that power. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government over peace, or the throne of David, and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is talked about and prophesied about Jesus and about this power that he will have. And we see that in, represented in this key that he's, that he's holding. No one has the power to close what he opens and no one has the power to open what he closes. He alone has that power. He is in control. And another way to think about that is he is the only door to heaven. He is the only way in which we get to heaven. It's through him. He is the door. He has that key. So interesting to think about the key that Jesus has. The next part uh, of the messages to these churches is the commendation of good. What is it that you're doing right? What's going on that's, that's going well in this church? 
So from the Church of Philadelphia, a couple of things. He says that you have kept my word, and that you have not defiled my name, and that you have persevered. Like we said a minute ago, we don't know a lot about the, the origin of this church, but it evidently had persevered in the face of, of oppression. Because Jesus here says, you have kept my word, you have not defiled my name, you have persevered. They must have faced some kind of um, conflict, some kind of oppression. And they have stood up to that. And they have not denied his name. In the midst of all that might have been going on, they held fast. They did not deny his name. And the next lesson, or beg your pardon, the next part of the message we have typically the condemnation of evil. What is it that's going on in this church that they need to be condemned for? Well, there's nothing that Jesus condemns this church for. Like the church in Smyrna, these are the two that receive no condemnation. Um, all he has, has commended them is, is for the good, but has not condemned them for anything evil that was going on. The next part of the letter is the warning and the exhortation. The warning that what will happen if, you, if changes aren't made. Um, so here we see, uh, Jesus says, I am coming quickly. Hold fast. Let no one take your crown. This idea of coming quickly, I wanted to spend just a moment to talk about that. There's this idea that's, that runs throughout the book of Revelation. And it's this idea of the, of the things which must shortly take place. In chapter 1, in verse 1, that is mentioned exactly like that. The things which must shortly take place. Uh, later on in chapter 2, in verse 16, it says, Repent, therefore, else I am coming to you quickly. Here in chapter 3, in verse 3, when we're talking about the church in Sardis, he says, I will come like a thief, and you will not know the hour. Hour, again, here represents uh, coming quickly. Not, not month, not year, not day, but hour. That represents that the, the, the he's coming, and he's coming quickly. He says, you come like a thief, and you will not know the hour. Here, what we just read in verse 11, I am coming quickly. Later on, in later chapters, verse 6 of chapter 22, the things which must shortly take place. Again, exactly the same wording that it is in chapter 1 and verse 1. The time is near, or the time is at hand from verse 10 of chapter 22. And then of chapter 22 and verse 20, Jesus himself says, yes, I am coming quickly. So the idea here and the things that we read are, are the events that are going to take place are going to happen quickly, which means that this is the, the things that were going to take place were going to happen in a, in a short amount of time, not decades, not hundreds of years, not thousands of years, but the things that were going to take place were going to take place soon. And we can especially see that with these churches. Things that they, that you need to make this right, you need to correct this, because I am coming quickly. And the reason I bring all this up, and um, in Homer Haley's commentary, he makes this statement, and I, I think it's a good one. There are constant and continual comings of the Lord to aid his people and to judge the oppressing world. There's misconceptions and there's some false doctrine out there about the second coming of Christ. There are some that believe that that has already taken place. Some believe that that happened in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem. 
that that was the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that now we're living in some kind of post, um, whatever you might call it, um, period. Well, we see from, from verses like this, that, and like I said, I like how Homer Haley says it here, there's a constant and continual coming of the Lord to aid his people and to judge the oppressing world. Jesus, talking to each one of these individual churches, says, I am, to, to the ones he says this to, I am coming quickly. He's coming quickly to each one of those churches, not coming on the last day, the Lord's day, the day of judgment, but here he's coming to continue coming to aid his people and to judge the oppressing world. So just keep that in mind. And we see that in Revelation, this coming quickly, that indeed uh, these things must, must shortly take place, not a thousand years from now, not a hundred years from now, but these things which must take place shortly. And that time is, is not an exact number. Hold fast, let no one take your crown. This idea of taking your crown, if you think about what was said back in chapter 2 and verse 10, uh, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. As long as these remain faithful, their crown couldn't be taken from them. He just says, let no one take your crown. I will give you the crown of life, he said there in, in chapter 2 and verse 10. But a lack of faith could cause them to lose it. Obviously, why else would he be warning them in this way? Let no one take your crown. And this little snippet in here just um, reinforces the idea that we can fall from grace. It disputes the idea of once saved, always saved. Galatians 5 and verse 4 says, You have been severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace. So there is a possibility that we can lose our faith, that we can fall from grace. And it's passages like these that help us to reinforce that idea. Let no one take your crown. Hold fast. I am coming quickly. That's the warning that is given to Philadelphia here. With each one of the messages, we see that there is a promise of reward to those who overcome. And for Philadelphia, it says that, I will, that those who overcome will be made a pillar in God's temple not go out anymore, and they will write the name, he will write the name of God and God's city on him and his own new name. Um, this idea of being made a pillar, you know, I mentioned about the earthquakes that were so um, prevalent in this area. Maybe that had something to do with Jesus' message. I don't know for sure. But it does seem an interesting correlation that he uses this particular language. Uh, in this city that had been affected by so many earthquakes. A pillar is structural. We know what a pillar is. It holds up something. Typically, it holds up a roof. It's also spoken of as the church. In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, I write so that you will know how you ought to conduct himself, how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. The pillar and support of the truth. We understand this idea of, of permanence, of holding up something. When Jesus talks about the pillar and when Paul talks about the pillar there in 1 Timothy, who says those who overcome will be part of that eternal structure. Look what it says there. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. This idea of permanence, this idea of the structure in the kingdom, in the temple of God. 
Interesting that he uses these terms. Those who overcome would be a part of that eternal structure. And then he mentions this, uh, this threefold name, if you will. He says there, um, And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven uh, from my God and my new name. Why this threefold name? Well, if we look at it, uh, the first one there is the name of God. That, I, that stirs up and, and helps us understand ownership. That we would belong to God. That these would belong to God. He would be their Lord. He would be their master. They would wear the name of my God. And it says the name of God's city. The new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven. That implies citizenship. That implies that these now are citizens of this, of this, uh, this new city. This new Jerusalem. God's city. And then he says, and, um, in my new name, Jesus says that, that, he would, that they would share his new name. When we share the name of Christ in his victory, in his eternal home, this idea that we share the name with, with Christ. Um, we are fellow heirs with Christ. Romans 8 and verse 17 tells us that. that we are fellow heirs with him. In Colossians 3 and verse 4, it says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. We share that with our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 John 3 and verse 2, we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. So this name that, that these would wear, this, he says, we will wear my new name demonstrates this idea of fellow heirs with, with Jesus Christ. So there's a threefold name here. My God, my God's city, and my own new name. And the last part of the lesson, or the last part of the message, is the invitation to hear what the message has been given. And this is the same with each one of these. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So that's the message then to Philadelphia. And as we look uh, each week, what we try to do is then make the application to us. What is this message to Philadelphia? What does it say to us here in Cortez, Florida? Well, the lessons are simple. Jesus has the key of David. He is Lord. He has the power. He has the authority. He has dominion. But when we consider um, who is our master, who is our Lord? Look for the one who has the key of David. Look for the one that was prophesied of about the throne of David. He is the one who has the power. He is our Lord. We must continue to keep his word. He says there to hold fast. I know that you have persevered in the past. And I'm telling you again to hold fast. There's something coming. There's an hour of testing. He says there in verse 10, um, my I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Hold fast. We must continue to keep his word. There's testing for us. We are tested almost every day in our jobs and our families and, and those things that, um, that we experience in this life. We've mentioned before, we, ha we, don't have, we don't suffer nearly the, uh, the persecution that others in the world do. 
that we have our own persecution, but we are to hold fast and continue to keep his word. We must hold fast and not be shaken. Um, look go back with me in Hebrews chapter 12 for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 12. This idea of, of shaken. Again, I just can't help but think about the earthquakes that were happening in this area and the earthquakes that, that destroyed uh, Philadelphia and Sardis. Here in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning verse 26, it says, And his voice um, and his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of the created things, in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we have a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God as a consuming fire. We must hold fast and not be shaken and understood that the kingdom that God has set up, it cannot be shaken. The kingdoms of the earth will pass away. They've passed away in the past and they will pass away again in the future. But the kingdom of God that he has set up will not be shaken until all things have passed away. All things created have passed away. We will be made pillars in the temple of God. If we hold fast to the things that we have been taught, the things that we have learned, we are to be pillars in the temple of God, the structure, the supporting, the church. And we will receive that threefold name as well of our God and of the city of God and of the new name of Jesus. We have that idea too of God being our master, our citizenship being in heaven, and sharing that inheritance with our, our Lord and our fellow heir, Jesus Christ. I hope this has been encouraging to you as we look at each one of these messages to these cities. We see the importance, and we see this idea that when Jesus says, I am coming quickly, there's an urgency there's an urgency about this life. We don't, we're not promised tomorrow. We only have today, as long as it is still called today. So if there's something in your life that you need to make right, this is a good time to do that. We have a few more hours left in this day. So if you have that opportunity, now's, if you have that, now's a good opportunity to make it right, if you have something in your life. If you have something that you need to confess, if you need the prayers of this congregation, if you're not a child of God, and you need to be, we can make that happen as well. Let your requests be made known by coming forward as together we stand and sing to encourage you.